Well, amen. Before we enter into our time of preaching, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we know that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that you are the one who has seated any power in its place. And Father, you rule over them. So Father, as we come before you, we know that you are sovereign, that there is no limit to your reign. There's no limit to your power. And Father, as we come to you as such, we recognize that any of the things that we experience day in and day out, we know that you are in control of. So, Father, with that in mind, we bring these things before you, knowing that you know full well what is to happen today, tomorrow, and forever. So, Father, we ask that you would hear our prayer. We know that through Christ you do. So, Father, we lift up things around our world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who are facing persecution. Father, we pray that justice and mercy would rain down. Father, not just in Nigeria, but all across the world. Father, we ultimately know that that won't come to fruition until Christ comes and makes all things new. So, Father, we pray as Jesus instructed us, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, and we pray expectantly, waiting and pleading for Christ to come. Father, as the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who is limitless, the one who has so much power, the one who is so sovereign over all things, we lift up our political climate to you in our nation. Father, we pray that your will would be done and that you would receive glory and honor. And Father, we recognize that you sit on your throne. You need no four-year terms. Father, you are our king. You are our shepherd. You have made us, as the psalmist says. So Father, let us follow you the one who neither sleeps nor slumbers. Father, we lift up our church to you and the things pertaining to our building renovations and maintenance. Father, we pray that these things can come across as so practical that we would not bring them before you. But Father, all things you request for us to bring before you. So Father, we pray that as the building team continues to meet and discuss these things and even the other parties that are involved father we pray that you would be glorified that you would work in these things father that you would plan these things in our best interest father as we seek to be faithful to steward our resources to bring you glory Father, we don't just pray about the physical material building. We also pray about the spiritual building. 
We pray that you would build us up into Christ-likeness each and every day. Father, that you would give our people, that you would give me a desire to feast on your word. Father, that we would be like the one who goes panting for water, that we would find nourishment and refreshment in your word. Father, we recognize that so often we walk around famished and we need your word. So help us. Help us to come to your word. Father, we also ask that you would bring new members into our midst. We rejoice in being able to bring Dave and Sarah into membership. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to the covenant that we have promised to them. And Father, we ask that you would cause them to be faithful to the covenant that they have promised to us. Father, that we would care for them, that we would love them, that we would support them. Father, that we would do this for all of our church members, we ask. Father, also help us reach our community. Father, you have given us a place and a people. Father, help us to be faithful to the task of going, getting to know our neighbor. Father, help us. Give us divine appointments with neighbors. Father, give us opportunities not just to get to know them, but to also enforce the gospel. To be able to proclaim the good news that comes to those who trust in Christ. And Father, that we would be able to see those in our community transformed into Christ-likeness. Father, help us to this end. Father, I also pray for Jeremy Jessen, the pastor at Lakewood Baptist Church just down the road. Father, I pray that as we study your word and we hear about foolish shepherds, Father, we pray that Jeremy would continue to be strengthened. Father, that you would cause him to be faithful to your word. Father, that you would cause him to be faithful to shepherd his flock. Father, that he would recognize in the midst of hard times and hard seasons, the glory that sets before him at the arriving of the chief shepherd, Father, he would labor faithfully. Father, we pray for his congregation. We pray that you would build them up. We pray that they would be a gospel light. And Father, we pray for them and others that we would be able to partner with the gospel in and around our community. And Father, as we enter into a time of your word, we ask that you would be in it, that your spirit would move both in the preacher and the hearer, that your word would bring honor to you. And Father, that we would be changed because of it. So Father, do these things by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned earlier that there is a category for sermons that kind of gives you the warm fuzzies. You leave and you're just excited. You're just so happy. Everything's rainbows and butterflies. And you're so, 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 so excited. And maybe for the last five minutes, that's what this one will be. But I would not categorize this as a feel-good sermon because there's some texts in the Bible that are not feel-good text. So before you think that this message is coming from me, that I just want to heap, uh, as one person said in Sunday school this morning, hellfire and brimstone. Let's turn to the text. Let's turn to the text and see what the text 
says. So if you would stand in honor of reading God's word, we'll be in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 4 through 17. Zechariah 11, verses 4 through 17. Amen. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die? Let it die. What is to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff, favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages thirty pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, Union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, does it make sense that this isn't going to be a particularly feel-good sermon? Zechariah chapter 11 is prophesying a very gloomy future. And not only future, but even present. So, this morning's main point of our text is this. That in God's justice, we get what we deserve. That in God's justice, we get what we deserve. And before unpacking this, that may seem, re- seem really cold. I don't. We should all say we don't want God's justice in one sense. Because if we hold to a biblical view of man and fallenness and sin, we realize that our penalty of that sin is death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. 
But aren't you glad that verse continues? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So I'm going to give you a, a sneak peek into the back of the sermon. That in God's justice, we get what we deserve. But at the end of the sermon, we also see that in God's grace, we get what we don't deserve. So we'll see that in God's justice, we get what we deserve in three progressions. First, Zechariah tells us the bad news. And guys, it's bad. Secondly, we'll see broken staffs representing specific things, verses 7 through 14. And lastly, we see the raising up of the foolish shepherd, verses 15 through 17. So the bad news, the broken staffs, and the foolish shepherds. Hang with me, but this is going to be a roller coaster ride. So my whole aim in this sermon is to get us to see that we aren't as good as we think we are. That we aren't as good as we think we are. If we pull out our resumes, if we pull out our accolades, if we pull out these other things, anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we are not as good as we think we are. So let's start where we all want to start. The bad news. Verses 4 through 6. Now remember, in Zechariah chapter 10, we continue to see this motif of a shepherd being brought to light. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11, it gives this visual of open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O cypress, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sounds of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions for the thicket of Jordan is ruined. These shepherds, these false and foolish shepherds, were using the sheep for their own gain. So now we see in verses 4 through 6 this bad news. And the bad news starts for Zechariah where he tells him in verse 4 that he is to tend the sheep. Zechariah acting as a representative in what is called a sign action. You don't have to remember that. But Zechariah essentially gets to play the part of the shepherd. And I think he legitimately does play the part of a shepherd. I think he, in this moment, in 519 BC, I believe that Zechariah was a shepherd to the people. But we see a foreshadowing in Jesus that he is the good shepherd. So Zechariah is told to be the shepherd of the flock, but not just any flock. Not the flock of a thousand hills, not uh, the Wagyu beef that uh, you know, is, is made in only certain parts of China, I believe. No, he is to have a doomed flock. Doomed to slaughter. That's a pretty hard ask. Zechariah, I want you to shepherd the flock. Okay, Lord, the, the good flock over here or some of the speckled flock over here? No, the flock that is doomed for slaughter. God's word does not mince words. This is bad news. And it's bad news because this flock has been abused by foolish and faithless leaders. That those who shepherd them have extorted them and have given false worship to God even, saying, look, 
Because of the glory of God, I'm able to make profit by selling these sheep. I've become rich at their demise. Because of this, verse 6, the comfort and care that God reestablished in verse 10, that I will tend the flock. I will care for them. Verse 6, the bad news continues. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land and I will deliver none from their hand. As one author notes, the sheep and their condition is no accident. It's not just the shepherds that have led them astray. The people have loved it. It's not simply a case of king oppressing people, but of neighbor oppressing neighbor. The sheep are as bad as their shepherds, and their condition is God's judgment on them all. Sheep and shepherds alike. He continues, they have the kinds of leaders they deserve. And the fate that awaits them is entirely appropriate for the kinds of people that they are. Church, we are not as good as we think we are. As a fellow youth minister back in Oklahoma said, I am jacked up apart from Jesus. Layman's terms, we are wretched. We are foolish. We are of no value apart from Christ. But that he has shown value in us that he died on our behalf. So the bad news is that they are given over neighbor to neighbor, neighbor to king, and that no deliverance is coming. Actually, as we continue through chapter 11, it gets worse. So instead of the narrative turning and saying, it gets better. In this specific chapter, it doesn't. So what's an application? What's an application? As Isaiah says that we all, prophesying in a day similar to Zechariah, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We like going our own way. Not just away from God, but we just don't like to have authorities. We like to be people who make our own rules, set our own trajectory, and yell at the GPS when it tells us to take the wrong turn. We say, we know better. Siri, we know better. I can get there on my own. How funny is that, that we even rise up against cell phones? I know better than you. We love to be our own God. We love to be our own authority. So the judgment that they receive is because they were their own authority. They were sheep without a shepherd. So an application would be return. If you are wandering away from Christ, if you are wandering away from his word, if you are finding 2020 to just be the worst year, you're not spending time in his word, you're not spending time meditating on him, return to the shepherd. 
Because while Zechariah chapter 11 kind of keeps us in this dark doom and gloom, we see that in Matthew chapter 1, the one who is prophesied to be the good shepherd comes. He breaks through the darkness of silence and no prophecies. No one heard from God and God himself came and dwelt with man. Emmanuel came. God with us. He is a faithful shepherd. So that's the bad news. They receive exactly what they deserve in their shepherds. But the focus now shifts to Zechariah as he fulfills the responsibility. Remember in verse 4, he was called to shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. So now he conveys the seriousness of the situation given. This is the staff broken in verses 7 through 14. Verse 7 opens up with Zechariah answering the question, go and shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. And so he says, so I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. The two staffs of the shepherd are favor and union. And almost as if Zechariah saying to the people, look at what I've done. I've removed these three shepherds. Now, historically, this seems to point to specific leaders in that time, specific leaders. But there's nothing to affirm that specifically. But Zechariah becomes this shepherd. He says, I have cast out these three shepherds. He says, look at what I've done. You had faithless shepherds and I've driven them out. And what did you do? You grew impatient. He grew impatient with the sheep and the sheep detested him. So what does he say in verse 9? He gives a pronouncement. Let it die. Let it be destroyed. And if that's not as serious as it needs to be, what he says at the end of verse 9 should bring... All of it to light. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. Their judgment is sure and their judgment is extreme. Zechariah says, you, you want to you detest me? The one whom God has chosen to be your shepherd? This is what God says you receive your judgment. And so in verse 10, he breaks the staff favor. Now, if you're like me, the word covenant, you immediately think, oh my goodness, God broke his covenant? The covenant with Abraham, the covenant with David, the covenant with Adam, the covenant to use the Messiah to bless all nations? Is this the covenant that's in view here? No. It seems that from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 25, God made a promise to these people. Here's what he says in Ezekiel 34, verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and will rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. This is the covenant that God made to his people that he would provide protection from foreign powers and evil beasts. But because his people have continued to rebel against him, he is annulling 
that covenant. And at this proclamation, the sheep traders knew that this was the word of the Lord. But Zechariah continues, after being growing impatient and being detested by the people, Zechariah continues, and we see this New Testament prophecy played out. That Zechariah goes and he asks for his wages. And this, if you're familiar with the New Testament, 30 pieces of silver was the cost at which Judas betrayed Jesus. So when Zechariah says, if, if you would consider giving me wages, them even paying him is a slap in the face. And yet this passage is seen in Matthew 27, verse 9 and 10, with Judas betraying Jesus for the same price. The chief shepherd sold into the hands of the evil one. And in verse 14, we see that this second staff is broken. The first staff favor annuls the covenant of protection and peace from foreign powers and enemies. And the second one is the, four, is the staff called union. This was the union between the northern and southern kingdoms. That when David and Solomon had gone by the wayside, the covenant, or the the Israel splits. The kingdom splits into the north and to the southern kingdom. And God's covenant is a union between them. And in verse 14, he annuls that because of their disobedience. So a quick application. Don't reject the good shepherd. Zechariah comes in in obedience to God's word. He drives out foolish shepherds. And yet they detested him. He removes enemies. And our good shepherd doesn't just remove enemies, but he lays down his life. Do not reject him. God, throughout the Old Testament, is the shepherd of the flock. In saying, they will be my people and I will be their God, he is making a covenant promise to them that he will lead them faithfully. But as sheep go astray, they reject him. Maybe we should write a history book of humanity and it just be rejection. They rejected God himself, they rejected him by saying, we've got to have a king like the other nations. Why has Assyria got a king and we don't have a king? He said, because I'm your king. So then when they get their king, they reject their kings. And then when they reject their kings, they get worse kings. And then when God sends them prophets, they reject the prophets. So God gives them what they deserve. I'm saddened that Andrew Cole's not here because yesterday he was wearing a pink Floyd shirt and I thought this transition would really be good for him. It's definitely a first for me, but in the hit Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want, the iconic band affirms you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you get what you... There you go. Well, 
almost as if this were a Rolling Stone song, though it's not. In the following verses, the people don't receive what they want or what they need. Because what they want is to be leaderless. They want to be their own authority. And what they need is they need a faithful shepherd. (laughs) And what they need is to follow that faithful shepherd. But rather than getting what they want or getting what they need, the people in Zechariah 11 get what they deserve in the form of a foolish shepherd. A foolish shepherd. Verses 15 through 17. Their fall is culminating in a foolish shepherd being raised up. So in the preceding verses of Zechariah, he's been tasked with the role of being a faithful shepherd to a slaughtered flock, a doomed to slaughter flock. So now he plays the part of a foolish shepherd. Verse 15 says, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Now, if you're like me, you want to know what, what is this? What is this equipment for a foolish shepherd? I, I, I don't know. But I know what Zechariah has already done. He's broken two staffs. So presumably, he's trying to shepherd this flock with broken staffs. And that's not quite going to get it done. Zechariah, no matter what his equipment is to be this foolish shepherd, is to be the foolish shepherd. That this shepherd is being raised up by God. And it gives four things that this foolish shepherd does not do. In verse 16, this shepherd that God is raising up, he won't, right? He won't care for those being destroyed. He won't seek the young. He won't heal the hurting. And he won't nourish the healthy. As one author says, instead of feeding the sheep, the foolish shepherd will feed on them and prey upon the unweary. So if this foolish shepherd is to not care for those being destroyed, to not seek the young, to not heal the hurting, to not nourish the healthy, the exact inverse are things that you should look for in a faithful shepherd, in a faithful leader. That a faithful shepherd will care for those being destroyed. A faithful shepherd will seek the young. A faithful shepherd will will heal the hurting. And the faithful shepherd will nourish the healthy. I want to just give a quick application here. I'm not always going to do that. I'm going to try. I'm going to try my darndest to be able to do that. Maybe sometimes at my own demise. But I, I want you to know that from some of the things that I've, I've heard from years past, is that pastors here haven't always done that. And so I don't think the expectation is biblical for you as church members. I think what you've seen in a pastor is, comes on Sunday five minutes before, leaves right after, never calls, never cares. So you don't know what to expect. You don't know what to hope for. You don't know what to rely on. And I want to be able to tell you, I want to do all of these things. I want to care 
for those being destroyed. I want to seek the young. I want to heal those who are hurting and I want to nourish the healthy. But I got to I got to say you got to help me. There are things that just go by the wayside that I, I don't hear about until weeks later. To be able to be a faithful pastor, to be able to shepherd and tend the sheep, I got to know where you're hurting, church. I got to know where your needs are. And, and, and hear me, that's not me saying, all right, thank you for telling your deepest, darkest sin. I'm going to put it in the prayer list for the next newsletter. No. If there are things that I don't even need to tell Annie, I won't. I won't. But I've got to know how I can care for you. I've got to know how I can tend to your wounds. You know, a shepherd walks around his people. And so I'm walking around my people and I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to hear things. But I, 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 you've got to help me. So know that I see that as my role. To care for the sheep. You guys are my sheep. <laughs> sheep bite their shepherds sometimes. I've, I've, and, and sometimes maybe that'll happen too. But I want you to know, I love you. I want to be able to care when I hear that somebody gets sick. I want to be able to care. And even if that means, hey, Thanks for sharing. I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. I'm not the wise sage that maybe you thought. Maybe it just means me listening. But I got to know how I can serve you. I got to know how I can shepherd you. So where you may have kind of drawn back and be like, Sean's not going to care because other people don't care. No. <laughs> I am going to care. Not I am in the future. I do care. I care about... Each and every single one of you knuckleheads, as my dad would say. God has brought me to this church to shepherd this church with his help. He is my shepherd. <laughs> so please help me. Help me know how I can shepherd you. Help me know how I can care for you. Help me know how I can provide help to you. I will not be a shepherd who will not care for the destroyed. I will not be the foolish shepherd who won't seek the young and won't heal the hurting and won't nourish the healthy. My role is to see the flock flourish and for you as an individual to be nourished, to grow into Christ's likeness. So please, please help me in doing that. And even if it's a 4 a.m. call, I might not call back until about 7 or 8 or 9 or 10. But I will call. And here is the pronouncement. We've got the bad news. We've got the broken staffs. And now to this foolish shepherd, this woe is pronounced. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. In one sense, this woe is for the shepherd to be completely incapacitated, that his rule and reign would be struck down. 
And who is it who afflicts this woe? It is the chief shepherd. It is God himself who will do this. So the main point of this sermon is that in God's justice, we get what we deserve. And I told you for at least a couple minutes, we get to the good news. So it is true that in God's justice, we get what we deserve. But in his mercy and grace, we get what we don't deserve. Right? Hear me. In God's justice, we get what we deserve. But in his grace and mercy, we get what we don't deserve. That is the definition of grace. That it is unearned. It is unmerited favor. That in Christ, we have done nothing to earn such a salvation. That's only in his grace. So does God cease being just to show us his grace? No. Because God remains to be just in punishing sin, but he changes who receives that punishment. From us, if we've trusted in Christ, to Christ. That in his sufficient death, Jesus pays the penalty for sin. That God renders a guilty verdict, but it's his son who takes the sentencing. Church, we are guilty. We are guilty. And the only answer that we can proclaim is not our accolades. It's Jesus. So as one pastor says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Right? That's a hard pill to swallow. I want you to know just how wicked you are. But the gospel is that, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. But at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So while in God's justice we get what we deserve, in his mercy, and more particularly, in Jesus Christ, we have received what we don't deserve. And praise the Lord for that. May that cause us to worship God for his glorious grace shown to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it's only in him that we can be redeemed, that we can be restored. We thank you that in the midst of this proclamation of a foolish shepherd, that you have sent us your son to be the good shepherd. That while this foolish and faithless shepherd preys on the sheep, takes their lives for his own good, Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his own life for the sake of his sheep. Father, thank you for that truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.